Well, good morning, Creekside. Good morning. Let's go. Yeah, it's great to be with you all here today, uh, studying God's Word. Uh, thankful to, to be studying that with y'all. And uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Pierre. I've uh, been uh, attending Creekside for about six years now. Uh, you probably the son-in-law, so uh, anything I say today, right, uh, answer to Steve. Most people give the email, I'll just say, he let me marry his daughter, so I think that says enough, right? Uh, yeah, so these past few weeks, uh, we've been studying uh, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 9 through 13, so in a little bit, we'll stand together and, and read that uh, passage. But for today's study, we'll be looking at uh, verse 10. And as we've been looking, as, as I've been studying this passage over the last several weeks, uh, I've been struck by several things, but uh, one thing again and again in particular, and that's that my prayer life is not where it should be, right? And I think to, to recognize God uses us in our weaknesses. And, and I think as we'll see in today's passage and also really throughout this story of Scripture, the pages of Scripture, God's grace through His Son, Jesus Christ, uh, has been freely given to us as a gift. And this, this grace has power to completely transform our desires, to be aligned with His purposes and will. Which, which leads us to our, our first point today, uh, our main point of the text, and, and that is Jesus calls His people you know, if you say that, you know, Christ is your Savior today, you have a personal relationship with Him, He calls His people to pray like Himself, right? Like, let that kind of sink in. You know, today we'll, we'll read the Lord's Prayer, which is a corporate uh, prayer, uh, plural, you know, our Father, not my Father, right? That was the, uh, the distinction there as we look at Psalm 23 and the Lord's Prayer. There was a personal prayer in Psalm 23 that David wrote. And today, Jesus is teaching us how to pray. And yet, let that sink in. Jesus calls his people to pray like himself, which means to pray for God's purposes to take place in our fallen world, right? That your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if you're anything like me, so often we get distracted, right? And, and caught up with the use of our time not being aligned with God's kingdom and his purposes, and so with that, I'd like us to uh, stand together, and we're going to read uh, Matthew 6, 9 through 13, the Lord's Prayer. And let's say it together. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debtors. Forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's good. <laughs> all right, let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this day, and thank you for bringing us all here together. We just thank you for your word and, and how... Uh, you have uh, given it to us, revealed yourself to us, uh, and that we can just sit under uh, the teaching of your word and to know that it has the power to transform our hearts and minds to be about your purposes and not our own. And I just pray that you'd uh, 
yeah, let me get out of the way and, and just uh, speak through my weaknesses, Lord, today that um, we would just hear from your word what you have for us and uh, that we can go from here today and uh, praying in such a way to see your kingdom come. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so a little background and kind of the text today. So it's chapter 6 following the Beatitudes in chapter 5. And Jesus continues to teach the people of Israel regarding really three acts of spiritual formation that they would have been familiar with. That each of us uh, likely, if you've been in the church uh, any long, uh, uh, for any time, you've heard these uh, spiritual formation acts, but that of giving, prayer, and fasting. And so today, we're going to be looking specifically at prayer, of course, but when we think of these, th- these three things, Jesus points out specifically throughout uh, this chapter that these three acts should be done in humility and without expectation and uh, expecting recognition from others, right? Again and again, that that theme is brought through uh, this passage. And I just want to make sure, am I loud enough here for y'all? Okay, just make sure. Cool. So uh, that brings us to our first first point here today. And I think it's, you know, important to define terms because I think a lot of well-meaning Christians over the years have uh, there's a lot of things that go on as far as the term kingdom, right? And, and kingdom of heaven, God's kingdom. And a lot of the uh, ideas and some of the themes that we'll cover today, uh, reading Kevin DeYoung's book, uh, if y'all haven't read it on the Lord's Prayer, I'd highly recommend it. Uh, but if you want to go to that first slide there and how we define God's kingdom, I think is, is really important. He had a, a good, uh, concise way of thinking about those things. Uh, specifically God's kingdom. And a simple definition is to think of the kingdom of God as his reign and rule. Another way to think of the kingdom is as God's redemptive presence coming down from heaven to earth. And so we see this theme of God's kingdom throughout the pages of Scripture. Right? There's, if we look back in Genesis 1 and 2, God created the world. Right, An all-powerful, perfect God created the world and Adam and Eve, he created, and they were in covenant relationship. They were enjoying his presence, the fullness in that. And, and yet, if you know the story, Adam and Eve rebelled against God and were kicked out of the Garden of Eden and were separated from God's reign and rule. But God wasn't done. And, you know, praise the Lord, he wasn't, right? He threw, even though Adam and Eve's failure God continued to work in the hearts of his people to bring them back to himself, despite their failures. And God promised uh, that phrasing when we think about, you know, coming out of slavery, he promised a land of flowing with milk and honey. And that imagery is meant to, uh, you know, remind God's people about his, uh, his kingdom, his reign and rule and the abundance that was the Garden of Eden. So since the beginning of time, we can see God's kingdom, his reign and rule throughout Scripture. And then it continues throughout the Old Testament, right? They don't get it right. Neither do we, right? It's, we continue in this cycle of God's people going their own way and God, in his mercy, bringing them back to himself and to the promised land despite their failures. And yet, 
even from the beginning of time, that was not the ultimate purpose of having God's kingdom in a nation state or in the nation of Israel. And as we see going through the Old Testament and then coming uh, today as we think about uh, the text today that we're in, in, in Jesus teaching on how to pray, it's the person of Jesus that being fully God and man, he lived a perfect life and God made his uh, reign and rule uh, revealed to us through the person of Jesus. And when we think about this, uh, there is a, a term that many of you all probably have, have heard if you've heard any preaching here at Creekside, but the inaugurated kingdom, the already not yet uh, concept. And Jesus ushered in when he came and lived a perfect life, died and rose again to address our sin. And I think there is, a, I guess, one illustration when I was thinking about the inaugurated kingdom. Uh, how many of y'all have uh, seen an ultrasound? Yeah, y'all have seen an ultrasound. Well, uh, a few months ago, we, uh, we celebrated our second uh, kiddo, uh, second boy, Andrew. Uh, we're very thankful. But when we think about, you know, seeing a, a baby on an ultrasound, right, there's some good detail there, right? You're, you're really excited, right? There is a baby uh, about to be born, right? You have a due date. And yet, uh, if we just stopped there and said, yeah, this is the kingdom, right? <laughs> this, is, uh, this is what it's uh, in front of us. And uh, if we stop there, instead of thinking about the amazing birth, right? If you have a child to, to meet your baby face to face and just being in uh, the presence of a newborn baby, uh, when our, our baby was uh, born December 20th, Andrew, I just think of, uh, yeah, I mean, there's tears and just the amount of joy that is, is a part of that. And I think about, you know, in the inaugurated kingdom, Jesus established God's reign and rule and now uh, actually allowing him to be the centerpiece of that and to actually see God's kingdom being uh, promised through Jesus, and one day he will return again to restore all things. But it's not just us that sometimes we'll get some of those expectations wrong, right? We look at uh, the Pharisees, the disciples, we'll see some examples today of some of those misconceptions and what they expected God's kingdom to, to look like. And so the Pharisees were, you know, if, if you're familiar with uh, the Pharisees, there were some of the religious leaders of that day that Jesus often pushed back against, uh, who really thought they had everything figured out. Uh, they also had some of their own expectations of how the kingdom of God uh, was going to, how it was going to come. And so in Luke 17, 20 to 21, I have it there on the screen. Being asked by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, Look here, it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Right. So Jesus understood he was uh, you know, fully God, fully man, and ushering in a new form of that, you know, God's reign and rule, uh, that he knew from the beginning, from the foundations of the world, that through the person of Jesus, uh, we can see God's reign and rule. But yet, the Pharisees, they were expecting, hey, let's, 
Uh, are you going to be overthrowing the, the Romans here? What, when are you going to be establishing the kingdom? And Jesus, we know now, right? And we have the uh, convenience of looking back on that, uh, that Jesus is establishing his reign and rule in the hearts and minds of his people, right? To completely transform our hearts and minds to be aligned with him. And when we look at this, as you think about Jesus and being promised in the Old Testament, if you look at Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 to 14, uh, this was, as I talk about the foundation of the world, the Jesus was promised and in the person of Jesus, that would be uh, establishing God's kingdom. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days. Let's say Daniel 7, sorry. We get the, there we go. Perfect, sorry, y'all. We got it there. We'll start again. I saw the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days. And was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And so again, we see God establishing, revealing himself through the person of Jesus and establishing his kingdom through him. And by his death and resurrection, as I was stating before, he's given a way for all of us to have a personal relationship to address uh, the sin on our own lives that needs to be addressed, that needs to have uh, a savior, a person that can take away that, <clears throat> that sin. And so when we place our allegiance to him, right, that's really when we think about a kingdom, we are placing our allegiance to Jesus and he gives us that new heart, right? Ezekiel, right? He's take away that heart of stone and put in the heart of flesh, a new heart, a changed heart. And by the power of his spirit, we can become kingdom-minded in that. And in other words, we really do not worry or stress about being satisfied in this life, right? We, when we place our allegiance to Christ, he transforms our thoughts and desires to be aligned with his purposes, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just the Pharisees that were uh, getting it twisted, right? It was, it was in uh, his own disciples, right, that were spending time and time again, day after day, with Jesus. So don't think, hey, if I was back there, I, let's, I think we would figure it out, right? His own disciples spending a ton of time, they had their own expectations of what the kingdom was going to look like. And if you have Acts 1, 7 to 8 there, in Acts 6, they ask, uh, if y'all have that slide there, uh, they ask Jesus, you know, hey, when are you going to establish your kingdom? Similar to what the, the Pharisees uh, were touching on there uh, with, with Jesus. And he says this, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. God's kingdom is one that cannot be stopped, right? It's, it cannot be overtaken, amen? It, it is one that 
is started there in a Jesus uh, having 12 disciples there, dying and rising again, and yet he's in right in front of them after he's resurrected, and they still are asking, when are you going to overthrow the Romans, right? And I say all that because I think often we have some of those uh, missed expectations. You know, uh, we'll talk about it here in a little bit, but the, the aspect of whatever we're trying to find our identity in or uh, how we can establish uh, you know, our, our focus here on this earth, when it's not aligned with God's reign and rule, right, his kingdom, it is counter to it. And so in Acts, we, we see by the, the power of the Spirit to be about his purposes and to spread the good news of Jesus to all people, God's rule and reign uh, has been accomplished through Jesus and will be fully realized and established when he returns. Which that kind of leads us to our next point there for your will be done. And uh, if, if I would tell you I will answer all of the intricacies of God's will here today, then uh, I will just go ahead and sit down right now. <laughs> uh, your will be done, but I think to know that there is true things, there is incomprehensibility of God and there is the comprehensibility of God that there are true things that we can know how he's revealed to us in Scripture and in the person of Jesus. So God's will, right? what does it mean to, to think about God's will? Well, God's will of decree which we've talked about, cannot be stopped. The sovereignty of God, it will be accomplished, right? And there is a revealed will, or the will of desire, right, that, uh, that is coming about and will be fully restored, right, in, as Jesus returns and uh, restores all things. And so we have the understanding there isn't a mysterious will that, uh, you know, in the sense that, uh, what does God have for my life? Yes, as you're seeking him, align yourself, read God's word, and know that he is going to work in your heart and mind. <clears throat> but as he's revealed to us, as I said, by the person of Jesus and in the pages of scripture, we can study and learn about the character of God, the all-powerful, perfect, all-knowing, all-loving uh, God that he truly is wanting a personal relationship with you and I. And so when we think about, you know, as uh, you look at the other uh, couple of the verses there, Mark would have touched on some of these things in his message last week. But if we look at those verses just prior to, to the Lord's Prayer as well, Jesus calls his people to be like, uh, to not be like the people that prayed to the pagan gods, right? There was a mechanical, repeated repetition that was in that uh, sequence there for trying to basically a wish list, right? You're trying to allow God to be a person like the pagan gods. And, and we know, an all-knowing, all-perfect God, it's not just about transforming our hearts, which absolutely happens. It's also praying in faith that he will act and knowing that he is in complete control. And out of that, God realigns our hearts to be. But it's not in that mechanical fashion to repeat over and over again to not have a changed heart. That's truly what that is, is speaking towards, is, is having that truly changed heart and expecting God to act. So instead, you know, the Lord's Prayer and how Jesus is teaching us to pray, it really does stand in stark contrast to the prayers that were, they were talking about in the pagan gods, to the pagan gods. 
And so when Jesus makes it clear that we're to pray in such a way that as uh, my title today, as far as, uh, and that was uh, Steve, one of our sister churches that had given a, a message on the Lord's Prayer, a series as we're going through, but prayer as rebellion. And it's prayer as rebellion in the sense that we are expecting and trusting God's act, uh, will to act, and it's in direct rebellion to the patterns of this world. How many of you all is, when you see uh, a friend die or you know, a, a sickness occur, right? Are we just saying that that is the pattern of this world and we're just okay with it? Or are we truly believing that God will act? We don't know exactly how that will look. Sometimes he uses suffering in our lives to bring about, uh, you know, sanctification, making us more like him uh, to allow our lives to be more aligned with him. But yet, when we pray in such a way that is complete rebellion uh, to the culture, to the, uh, the patterns of this world, our lives will look different. And, and more on that here to come. <clears throat> so if we truly have a new heart and desire to be about his purposes that only Jesus, by the power of his spirit, can give, uh, every aspect of our lives will be changed. And so uh, coming across that familiar passage in 1 Timothy 6.10, there was the uh, portion of that is, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And thinking about that, what, what does the love of money really, uh, really look like? What does that really mean? Well, if we define money as uh, defined as being obtained what this world has to offer, and the currency there, that would stand in complete opposition to God's currency of grace, which is received as a gift, and God is at the center versus us. And as a, a personal example recently uh, of thinking about how to, uh, my life is, is missing the mark, and often am not uh, aligned uh, being about kingdom-minded, uh, centering on Christ. We recently uh, started a business and, uh, in physical therapy, and there's a lot of work. If any of you all have started a business, it uh, can take up a lot of time, right? There's, there's a lot of aspects. The work seems to never end, right? And you can always be doing something more. Uh, and what I'm finding is there's... Uh, my heart often goes to how I can gain through human resources. It may not be, uh, when we think about that verse, the love of money, it can be greed, but it also can just be how well can we make our lives comfortable and have security and even through, you name it, entertainment, those things that uh, can really take the place in your heart from centering uh, to Jesus and, and to what he has to offer for our lives instead. And so as, as I thought about that, and often it's, you know, click refresh on the email, how many times, 50 times you check it, right? It's, it's uh, the times where it's continually working, and I, I'm certainly in favor of working hard, but when it takes the focus and the, uh, the center of our lives, the identity of who we are, that's when it becomes... Uh, 
you know, in opposition to what God's kingdom truly is, is meant to be about and what he calls us to be. And I think Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods, if y'all haven't read it, highly recommend it. But just paraphrasing one of the concepts that he, he talks about an idol, he talks a, you know, a fair bit on that, uh, about idols and defining those and what that looks like in, in our lives. And yet, when we think about that, and if there is any idols in our lives, we don't have a golden statue up here and, and we're looking at it, you know, worshiping it. But in essence, an idol is anything that takes the place, right, of our worship to God. Some, you know, we're going to worship something, and yet, God calls us to be about his purposes aligned with his will and his kingdom. And too often, you know, Tim Keller essentially states, if that item, that thing, maybe it's yourself, often if you have that removed, being brought down, right? God said, tomorrow, remove, you know, our, our, our business, right? How does that change my heart, right? How, does, how do I react? Am I devastated? Is there, you know... Uh, is my identity resting in what, uh, you know, something else other than my relationship with Christ? And if that's so, you know, I, I think we truly need to uh, think about how God can truly act, because he is a faithful God. Pray in such a way that is in complete rebellion to the patterns of this world. And, and on the, the, the note of the love of money and thinking about God's currency of grace, being in complete uh, contrast to that. Uh, John P Piper had a, a really great, uh, you know, quote here regarding the love of money. I think it'll be up there in a sec, yeah. So, the, define the love of money. Uh, it's the alternative to faith in God's future grace. It is the faith in future re human resources, the kind of thing you can obtain or secure with money. Therefore, the love of money or trust in money is the underside of unbelief in the promises of God. I think we just we need to let that sink in a little bit. It doesn't have to be greed. It can be, right? The love of money. Anything that we place our trust in that, is, uh, that takes the place of our attention, of our... Uh, worship, our devotion, because when we truly be, when we are truly about uh, kingdom-minded, uh, our focus is kingdom-minded, then that fully transforms every aspect of our life. And, and Jesus emphasizes this concept of what the world has to offer versus being kingdom-minded and uh, placing our trust in God's reign and God's rule uh, in his kingdom just a few verses down, if y'all are there in chapter 6, we're going to see this. If you look at chapter 6, verse 24, we're right there. It says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one, love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So I think there is a, a couple of points of, of application we should gain from this. And if you're like me, it's so easy to trust in what this world has to offer, whether that be our immediate comfort, our security, our entertainment. Although these things may not be wrong in and of themselves, it is when we place our trust and identity in what this world has to offer it is to satisfy our hearts. 
So for those of us who have placed our faith in Christ and are, are looking to trust him to satisfy our hearts, uh, do we really trust him for that? Do we really trust him to satisfy us fully? Do we truly believe that Christ is enough and he will provide for us when we seek him first? What would it look like here at Creekside, right, if we, as a body of believers, if you profess to know Christ, what would it look like in praying in such a way that we believe God's reign and rule would be would really be realized in our hearts and minds. It would be transformed every aspect of our life. And for those of us, uh, for those of you that haven't put your faith in Christ here today, I, I would just ask, what are you putting your place, placing your trust in to satisfy you, right? We're not static beings, right? We're, we're moving in some direction. And if we think about uh, who we are worshiping or what we are worshiping, what are we placing in our lives to satisfy us? Sometimes that is ourselves, our work, our accomplishments, right, you name it. I would just ask all of us to, to just reflect and ponder and what are we placing our allegiance, our trust in? Because Christ says we can't be half in. We cannot serve God and money. You can't serve God and have plus. So what we place our hope and trust in will reflect in how we live our lives, either in unison with God's kingdom or what this world has to offer. And, and this does kind of lead us into that uh, next phrase. Uh, I know Mark uh, had a few jokes on how many words. I think I got maybe a few more words than you, Mark. So we're on the next phrase, on earth as it is in heaven. So when we think about that, uh, as we discussed earlier, uh, Jesus came and established his, uh, God's kingdom and brought his rule and reign. And one day, as we stated, we'll restore all things as we talked about the inaugurated kingdom, the already, how he has brought forth uh, you know, a, a time period where all people, all nations can be a part of it changed hearts and minds. And yet, in the future, God will establish uh, you know, and restore. Jesus will return again and uh, restore all things. But in the meantime, as we wait for Jesus to come again, the church is, is truly functioning as that outpost, as the, the embassy. You know, We're living in a foreign land. And if we truly believe what God has called us to and what he has asked of us, then we are on a completely different mission than what this world has to offer. So I would just ask, you know, what, how does our lives as believers look different? Are we actively seeking the Lord in prayer? Are we plugged in to our local church being built up by other believers? Because when we are truly living for God's kingdom, our prayers uh, will be in as I stated earlier, complete rebellion to the patterns and ways of our culture and our world. Because as we stated earlier, you know, the, the misunderstandings of you know, the disciples who spent day in and day out with Jesus, they didn't get it either. They thought, hey, it says in Acts 1-6, Lord, will, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? 
Right? They're going back to the Old Testament time and time again. You know, God worked through kings and prophets and through his redemptive history, as we've talked about earlier, to bring about his purposes. And they still thought, hey, it's a physical kingdom that you're going to restore. And that was right after he had rose from the dead. And yet, as we know and saw earlier, Jesus said, it is not for you to know the times and uh, the authority has been placed to God. And so it's, it's important to note right here that the, the Lord's Prayer is not stating that uh, God is not sovereign or reigning over the earth because he is, right? Uh, instead, Jesus is teaching us to pray expecting the commands be carried out with obedience, with changed hearts on earth in the same way as it is in heaven. So yeah, just, just a few verses down again from 624. If you look in 633, you know, this passage is so rich. You know, it's, there's a reason why, you know, going through the book of John, it's, it's pretty amazing. Steve's done a great job with that, uh, you know, as we went through that uh, different chapters. There's so much rich theology and just concrete uh, things that we can learn of the person of Jesus. And yet, in the whole context of Scripture, it points to him. And he says this, So let's listen up, because this is Jesus talking to his disciples. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Matthew 6, 33. So this means as we are called to seek God's kingdom and purposes above all else in every aspect of our lives, do we truly believe that? Do we... uh, Act upon, or if you're like me, right? There's, you're so easily distracted, and often do not go the the first instinct to prayer and to pray in such a way that we're asking God's kingdom to be realized in our hearts and minds, to be about His purposes here at Creekside, in McMinnville, and to the ends of the earth. And so sometimes when we think about uh, as we think about application here uh, for the on earth as it is in heaven, I think it is important, as we talked about earlier, defining kingdom and you know, defining what it means on earth as it is in heaven. Because I think over the years, you look at church history, there's a lot of well-meaning Christians, professing Christians, I should say, uh, that got it wrong. They've misinterpreted, right? You know, it, it's not a political party that we're looking to to establish God's kingdom, right? God knows who will be elected, right? He's not surprised, right? He is the one that is reigning and ruling in this world. And so it's not Democrat, it's not Republican, it's not independent, anything in between, right? God's kingdom is going forward and we know that we can trust in that and we don't need to be... uh, a people uh, that needs to be surprised or anxious about our current day because we know that we can align ourselves with the, his purposes and be about his kingdom. And so, uh, like I said, there, there's been a lot of well-meaning Christians, professing Christians that have, have missed the mark, and I think that so easily can be uh, a part of our thinking. And so, it's not uh, something that can be um, 
conjured up ourselves, right? We're not establishing the kingdom, but yet Jesus clearly brings his disciples, us, through his death and resurrection, a way to be about his kingdom, to announce his kingdom, to tell others about his kingdom. And when we think about, you know, uh, being a part of God's kingdom, as I've stated already, when we truly have resting in what Christ has done for us, that has the power to transform our hearts and minds to be about his purposes. And so when he calls us to tell others about his kingdom and pray in such a way that desires, right, that completely shifts our focus to be about God's rule and reign to occur in our hearts and minds. And I would just ask each of us to reflect on that. How, how is our lives being reflected of God's kingdom? Right? Are we praying in that, to that end? And I would just ask uh, Yehuda and the team can come, come back up here as we're closing. And, and just thinking about, uh, yeah, if, if you have placed your trust in uh, Jesus and have, have a, a personal relationship with him, my prayer is, is that for, for each of us, we would pray knowing and expecting God to act. There's a difference, right? There's, uh, we can pray in such a way that our hearts are not changed, and yet when we pray expecting God to act and to work in our lives and the people around us to be seeking his kingdom that cannot be stopped, it cannot be thwarted, it cannot be uh, you know, bent, he is going to accomplish his will then truly our lives will look different in our day-to-day. So if you haven't placed your trust, uh, if you do not have Jesus uh, as your personal Savior, I would just ask that um, I'm more than happy to, to talk with you and what that means. One of the other, uh, one of the, the pastors or uh, elders here that um, can talk with you, I know they would love to, to talk with you more. Um, and at the end, after our song, our prayer, uh, we'll have people up here to pray for you if you need that. Uh, can be, you know, prayers of praise. Can be prayers, you know, uh, we live in a, a broken world, a fallen world. And I would just ask that our, our prayers would be expecting God to act and be in complete rebellion to, to this patterns of this world. Uh, why don't you sing and I'll pray. Pray us out.